Hello, everyone. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you're joining us from. My name is Richard Freeland, and I'm a content writer at Fluke Reliability, home to eMaint and Proof Technic. We have a truly special webinar today. Our speaker is Kurt Chamberlain, a performance consultant, and he's going to talk to us about upgrading your CMMS to an enterprise asset management mindset. But first, we still have a few people logging in, so we're going to give them a minute or two to get settled, and then we'll get underway. Okay, I think we're ready to go. Thank you for joining us for today's webinar titled Take Aim, Upgrade Your CMMS to an Enterprise Asset Management Mindset. As I mentioned, our speaker today is Kurt Chamberlain. Before I formally introduce him, I'll cover a few housekeeping topics. Today's webinar is being recorded and we will share a link with you after the event. You'll also be able to find it on the Fluke Reliability YouTube channel if you'd like to revisit the content or share it with someone. As always, we invite you your comments and questions. There's a Q&A chat box on your screen. If you think of a question for the speakers at any point, just type it in there and I will either pose it to our speakers at that time or hold it for discussion at the end of the event. And actually, I think today we're gonna hold to the end of the event. So um, feel free to shoot those questions at us as we're going. So as I mentioned, today's presenter is Kurt Chamberlain. Kurt is the owner of Utility Performance Consultants based in Texas. He's a seasoned professional with over 30 years providing consulting services to clients with a focus on business transformation and enterprise asset management, EAM. The services provided are focused on business process improvement, KPIs, and technology enablers in work and asset management, as well as finance, customer, and supply chain. And before we jump in, I'll toss it over to Kurt to expand a little bit on his experience with, um, with our software. Yeah, thanks, uh, Richard. Appreciate that. Uh, I got involved in a e-main implementation with Centurion Pipeline in uh, 2019. Basically, Centurion was a was purchased from Occidental Petroleum, and uh, in October of 2018, and uh, I got on board in late January. <clears throat> and we were under the gun. We had five months to change from Maximo to e-main. It selected e-main, and we had five months to make that transition uh, out of there due to the fact that uh, if they stayed on Oxy systems, they would have to pay a heck of a lot of money. Uh, so the good news is we made it. Uh, it was, a, like I say, it was an X4 implementation at the time. Uh, Centurion uh, runs about 20,000 work orders a year. A lot of those are preventive maintenance work orders. Uh, very highly into documentation, the requirements in the pipeline, or crude pipeline company and the requirements are really not much different than a nuclear plant when you get right down to it or everything that they had to, had to do. So there was a terabyte of documentation that had to come along with it. And they're highly regulated by Department of Transportation and 
basically everything had to be available for a minimum of 10 years and some things even more. Uh, we take after we made the implementation timeline in June, then we uh, made a lot of uh, enhancements and grew X4 within the company. They made a decision that uh, we needed to go to X5, and one of the reasons was is we've reached the technical limits of X4. Uh, so we started the X5 journey, and it was uh, a very interesting one to to say the least. But uh, finally, in uh, in 2021, uh, in December of 2021, we were able to go live with X5, and uh, and it it all turned out to be pretty good. I think it was good for everybody. It was good for Emate and and good for Centurion in the long run. So that's my experience with uh, with uh, Emate. Uh, yeah, and uh, just to clarify for, for everyone, uh, Emate X5 is the, the newest version of Emate CMMS, the software from Fluke Reliability, in case anyone is um, unaware of that. But yeah, I'm just going to hand it over back to you, Kurt, to thanks so much for taking the time to present today. And with that, um, go ahead and feel free to begin today's talk. Okay, well, what we want to do uh, is I just we have some poll questions here we want to ask. And the first one is uh, the people in the audience. Uh, how many of you happy where you are with your Emate CMMS journey? You consider yourself, um, you're happy where you're at, you don't see any plans to change, or you realize there's a lot more you can do, uh, which would make you unhappy in that case. So I'm just curious, how many people are happy, or you're slightly unhappy because there's more you know you need to do within your CMMS system? So if y'all could... Uh, uh, do that poll. That would be appreciated. We'll sit here and wait a second to let people choose their option. All righty. I, uh, I'm unfortunately not be able to see the uh, poll results right now, but uh, I want to talk about the next one a little bit. Uh, for all the X4 users out there, we're curious how many are interested in looking at eMain X5, either this year or, or sometime next year that uh, you do feel like you need to go and, and uh, change from X4 to X5. And while you're filling out this poll, just to, the reason why we're asking these questions is uh, just to, you know, to, to understand if you're unhappy where you're at or you're unhappy and thinking about moving to X5, it uh, might kind of fit in with this presentation on how we can make you happy. That's, uh, that's the goal. Okay, all right, so polls are polls are closed. I don't know if we have a winner now, but polls are closed. Uh, you know, the bottom line is, is that AIM is part of the uh, implementation methodology that uh, EMATE has for implementing these systems. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is, is that uh, in order to really be successful at these things, at implementing and getting to where you want to be, and, and I speak from this from, 
you know, 30 years of experience. You know, a lot of the stuff that I have done has always started with sound business cases. What are we doing? Where we're going? Uh, and what's the plan to get there? And uh, so, you know, I think business cases are sometimes tough for people. So we're spending a little bit of time talking about that. Uh, I mean, because sometimes, uh, you know, coming up with uh, with what the what the benefits are and and putting yourself out on the line that says yes, I think these are achievable or difficult, and uh, and how to really get there and how to make them, how to make those benefits, make sure that they're believable and everybody else will believe them and understand them is uh, it's been difficult. So I think we'll talk about that a little bit. You know, once you get a solid business case, you can get your executives on board, and once you get your executive executives on board, then hopefully you can you know build a case for change because as you know cultural barriers are a tough situation uh but uh building a solid business case from the get-go kind of help you get through all the issues that you have with achieving what you need at the very end and so like i was saying earlier there, a lot of times you're exhausted you know you're moving to email for the first time and and you did that project and you felt like a you know you had to carry a heavy load there was a lot of people you know people struggle with change and uh, it's a it's a tough thing to do implementations and and especially for client. Most of the work I've done has been from the consulting side. Although you know you kind of meld in after a while, and and a lot of times the clients can't tell the difference. But uh, but implementations are are tough and they can be very exhausting. A lot of people like they do one. They say I think we're good. But I don't want to go through that again. So that's a that's a, an issue for some. I think in a lot of them, lack of proper funding. I think that, uh, that you funded some of it, but things that you didn't get to, such as maybe uh, some great reporting and that kind of thing, that uh, with a little bit of planning in front, you could have got it properly funded and saw your way through a little bit better. So we'll talk about that. And, you know, getting getting the corporate supported vision. Uh, you know, you may have executives that don't, uh, that just think that uh, what you do in a maintenance organization is just make sure things stay running. Uh, they don't realize the money that can be made and the, uh, the value that's out there by, by, by being best in class in maintenance or doing some of the things you need to do, um, how beneficial that can be. And so I think that uh, developing that vision and making them understand it, I think is a very important scenario. And again, you have the whole cultural barrier, barrier scenario, right? Where Change is hard. People don't want to change, right? I mean, it's 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 in our human nature for most people. Uh, but what I've noticed in my experience in the last 30 years is that you can have people that don't want to change, but once they start changing, and you get corporations that make a lot of changes where they're always doing continuous improvement, you get more concerned about when you're not changing than when you're changing. Now, getting there is not an easy task, but it's something that I've noticed in my 30 years of doing this that. Uh, once, once you start changing and, and get that continuous improvement mindset, uh, uh, it can be contagious, right? So, uh, yeah, tribal knowledge and islands of data. I spent a lot of time in the utility industry uh, in dealing with linear assets. And if anybody on this call has linear assets, you probably have a GIS group, right? And there's always that discussion of asset management data, what they have, what you have. Uh, but there's always uh, islands of data out there to be dealt with. So. We're going to talk about some of these roadblocks, how to get around them, and and uh, it may be easier than you think. You know, AIM, you see it there, that little yellow arrow at the very bottom of the thing. That's what we're trying to do. Kind of before we get started, this represents an implementation methodology. 
uh, a flukes implementation methodology. And, uh, and, and, you know, in a lot of cases, some people maybe don't go to the trouble of doing real strategic planning uh, and taking a look at where you want to go, make sure it gets funded, make sure people buy in. But reality, that needs to happen for you to get started with step one. And so we, you know, we believe it's honestly very important and, uh, uh, and it's something that uh, if you do it and do it properly, it, it just makes the rest of this, all those other chevrons, an easier way, an easier way to get done, basically, and to be more successful. So, you know, create the vision sounds like, well, you know, you're talking about something holistic about everything. You know, maybe you've done a pretty good job of, of a lot of your CMMS stuff today, but maybe there's targets of things that you need to hit. Maybe your vision is not necessarily, I want to be totally, you know, reliability-based maintenance. Yeah, that's, you know, that's definitely a big vision, and, and it is a good vision. But we talk about business cases for do things. We don't necessarily have to look at it so holistically. You know, you, you, maybe there's pieces of your vision that are different. Maybe part of your vision is we struggle with inventory and purchasing. They're, they're two separate groups. They're on different systems. Uh, you know, how do we how do we actually improve that? We find we have a lot of maintenance issues around the fact we don't have parts on time and, and that kind of thing. Well, that in itself is something that you may want to tackle as a vision, right? So when I, the word vision is always, you know, seems to be very holistic, but it doesn't have to be. It could be things that are more specific that you want to look at, uh, quite frankly, right? And so you can articulate that. You know, the, the, the issue is that we're struggling with inventory and getting parts out on time and our downtime's bad. You know, right? so your vision is, well, we want to be able to meld these two systems together or go to one or whatever, whatever the whatever it is that you need to do to, to create that vision and align it with any corporate strategy you have in place. If you have in place that says we're going to be the number one supplier, uh, we'll always have inventory on hand for everybody. Well, if you have a lot more downtime, then maybe that's not the case. But somewhere along the line, you have corporate strategies and maintenance fits into those corporate strategies in one way or another. And once you can find that, define that, and then understand it, it's, uh, it starts to be easier for people uh, to get on board. Demonstrate the value, it's, it's a very difficult thing, right, to demonstrate the value, and, and we're gonna talk uh, about this, but it's, it's important. You know, we don't wanna do it just because, and, you know, there's, there's gotta be a good reason. You know, we don't wanna do it because it sounds good. You know, we wanna be able to say, you know what, we need to do this because this makes us money, or, in some cases, it's like this is great insurance, and and, and this insurance is worth it, because uh, some things are obviously a lot more difficult to define in terms of business case. But but if you look at it at insurance, you buy automobile insurance for yourself for that one out of a hundred, you're going to have a crash. But when you have it, you're 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 good to go. So building a solid business case, we think, is uh, is very important. Uh, you know, you have cultural barriers sometimes in going forward. We need to remove that. And the second bullet about facilitating the mission is to get the executives on board for continuous improvement. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do. And again, that's a very holistic vision. Maybe the first thing you want to do is get them on board for the project that you got. Maybe it's not a whole continuous improvement thing for your whole company, but maybe it's just getting them on board for for this one particular item that you're going after and something that, that you would like to do. You know, what's important of the business case? You know, the, 
the bottom line is, is that your company's existence is to create wealth for the stakeholder. I mean, that's the bottom line. That is why business exists today. They, they don't exist just to supply us stuff, obviously. People put up money to create businesses. Either an individual uh, puts up his own money or goes to the bank and borrows it. Uh, but his vision is to make money to Walmart, who has probably, I don't know, telling how many shareholders. Uh, Walmart's in the business of serving you, but they're in the business of serving you to make money. Uh, so that's why business case is important, right? Because that's that's what we're here. That's what it's all about. Sometimes I think we forget that a little bit, but that's that's kind of here here why we're here. It brings clarity to your maintenance vision for the company because, you know, maybe it could be that uh, the people in your company, again, like I say, just think maintenance is something that has to be done. It's broken. Go fix it. Well, you know, there needs to probably be more clarity than that. And uh, what is exactly that clarity that you're looking for? Uh, and if we do the business case on the things that you need to do, it brings clarity and it brings understanding to people why we're doing it. Right. And, and money is always the, the motivator. You get right down to it. And, a, you know, a good business case also makes sure that, you, you know, you get the money to do the, the job, right? That you, you know, sometimes you may not be able to do it yourself. There are times when you may need some external help to get to where you need to be. But if you, if you understand that from the get-go and you include that in your funding and it works in your business case, then it's not something you need to ask for. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times, especially early on, that we would do projects and we would never fund the end game, which is a lot of reporting. And it was it never failed. It seemed like, it, you know, we were so interested in getting things up and running. We missed a lot of scenarios that, hey, you know what, we need to get the data out. Right. Uh, and also sometimes in a lot of instances, we had to go ask for more money, which sometimes is good or bad, depending on what the economic situation is at that time. So, you know, if you fund it all, get it done right from the get-go, it's less of an issue. So that's kind of what we're shooting for with that. Uh, yeah, you know, in project planning and execution, obviously the business case will dictate that. You, you do have plans. You do have timelines. You do have resources. You understand who you need. Um, and that all just leads to the success of, of getting to your end game. And obviously the business case is good for everybody. Not only is it good for your boss, or yourself or the people you work with, but it's good for as high up as you need to go for people to make decisions on, on how, to, how to build these business cases and move forward with projects and just get out of simple work order management and start doing some more stuff, okay? So the key concepts is about business cases are is that a lot of people, you know, you may or may not be aware of this, but it's no different than if you, if you're in a maintenance organization where you build your own stuff, right, uh, it's it's a capital asset. And uh, everything associated with that is capitalized, written off of the life of the asset. You know, typically in projects involving uh, IT and business process stuff, uh, you know, it's typically a seven-year life uh, on, on things. So, uh, you know, the odds are that a lot of the projects that you do, this stuff is capital. It's not bottom line. Uh, so it's very important to understand that because it's easier to get funding over something that you write off for seven years typically uh, than you than something that uh, that's going to hit the bottom line immediately. So a lot of this stuff is capitalized when you get right down to it. And then you know sometimes you need to step away from maintenance a little bit and put on a CFO hat to an extent. I mean we don't want to turn 
good maintenance people <laughs> into accountants, but uh, it's good to understand how your company measures capital investment. All right. So you can kind of talk at a high level to people. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, and defining benefits requires some educated experience. And that's, that's because everything is not cut and dried. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. I mean, some, when I say educated, it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, you got to have a certain amount of knowledge to think about, uh, you know, what are the true actual benefits, especially if it's more from an insurance perspective and not necessarily from like cutting contractor costs and stuff, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. It's important in business case to use r real cost. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you go for it cheap, you kind of get what you pay for sometimes. You might be successful, but it, certainly you'll have a lot more uh, uh, pressure on you to, to get it done right. Uh, and I think a lot of people think, well, I can, you know, I can name that tune in five seconds. Well, I think you can, I think I can name it in three. Three is probably better. Uh, if you have a solid business case, you'll have solid and real costs. And I think if you're looking to go cheap on trying to enhance the business case, that's an issue. Uh, it's a it's a red flag. It's something you need to think about. Uh, and we'll talk about that also here in a little bit. I'm a big believer in never overpromise and underdeliver. I like the other way around where we underdeliver. I mean, under underpromise and overdeliver. Uh, that's always not necessarily a, a good way to be, but it's, it, but it it's certainly the expectation in case something goes awry that you didn't plan for. Uh, if you know, you always have that backdrop. Yeah, I'll give you an example. I was working with a very, very large utility that uh, needed to spend $400 million on changing out their EAM system. Uh, I mean, they had over 12,000 users. It was big and, and, and gaudy. And the original business case uh, that they looked at said, well, they can save $1.6 a year. And uh, in cost, and about I don't know 800,000 operating costs, and and then probably I don't know another 800,000 in in capital outlay uh, if they implemented this stuff. And you know the numbers were you know were very uh, astronomical. At the very end of it, we went from 1.6 million to 400,000 annually. Still made really good sense. I mean 400 million, excuse me, annually. Still made very good sense. Uh, but we certainly want to make sure that we did not have an expectation that was that high, even though it was potentially achievable. But uh, so anyway, I'm, uh, it's just a good good rule of thumb. And again, a lot of these, uh, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the business of doing this kind of thing, and I'm and 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 to be honest with you, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uncertain about how this this is what the expertise is for, that that we can get you there. It's not very expensive, and we can get you there and, and, and get you set up and ready to go. So again, you know, capital assets can have a positive impact on operational expenses. In other words, you know, if you're the maintenance manager and you're responsible for implementing these systems and you need people off your maintenance team to go out and help with these projects, if it's a two-month, three-month, six-month deal or whatever, and it's deemed to be a capital asset, you know, you can, you can actually capitalize the salaries of the team members on there, which actually has a positive uh, effect on net income for the year. <laughs> actually makes you look like you're way under budget where they spread that all cost out over three to five to seven years, whatever your company wants to do. Uh, consulting expenses. That's a, it's a good one. I should put contractor in there because it could be consultants are contractors as uh, maintenance people. You're all understand what contractors are, but 
any kind of contracting expenses. If you're building your own asset and you have a bunch of contractors doing it, you capitalize that just as well. Uh, so there are some positive aspects that the cost is not necessarily burdened in the year that it happens. When you spread it out over seven years, it's very beneficial for the business case as well. And not all projects are, uh, so expenses are considered capital. I mean, from an IRS perspective, I believe training is not considered capital. Uh, but so you, you know, the bottom line is, is that you'd have to really under, get with your finance people and say, well, what do y'all consider capital? What do you consider not capital? What, what's your write-off period? You know, kind of start making that conversation happen to understand exactly what the policies, because most companies are, they're different. Uh, utilities have a tendency to string projects out forever, uh, even IT projects and stuff where some companies are, are more, you know, three to five years, utilities are 10 or longer, uh, but it kind of depends, but your company probably does have a policy on it and, uh, and it's good to get a good understanding of what that is so we can build a business case and understand what the outcome will be over the course of the years it's going to get written off. And then also, however your company manages capital projects, or how they how they uh, how they look at them, is to make go and no go decisions. You know, there are many different ways that they look at it. I threw a couple of them out here. You know, basic return on investment is one. You know, if your company's owned by an investor group, they'll probably be very EBITDA focused. You know, an EBITDA is nothing but taking your net income and taking out depreciation and amortization. And it's more indicative of a cash flow scenario, but it's a it's a number you'll hear from investor groups that every and the the executives of your company, if they work for the investor groups, is that uh, what's the EBITDA uh, uh, ramifications of this? So uh, to, to, you need to understand that economic value add is basically a, a version of of ROI. Uh, it's a little more got a few more wrinkles to it, but there's a way that that your company measures uh, capital investment and uh, the best that you can look at that and understand that uh, and be able to speak the language of the CFO and or the accounting people or controller or whoever it is, uh, the better your chances of, 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 of success. So think about that one. You know, achievable benefits. Again, this is, this is hard. And again, if a lot of you on this call have grown up through the maintenance ranks and uh, and and maybe have not spent a lot of time doing business case development. This is the hardest thing for anybody to do, and it's and it's hard because at some point in time you have to say this is this is what I think I can do, and you kind of feel ultimately responsible for making it happen, which in a lot of instances you kind of are. So uh, defining that uh, it it can be a challenge. You have to be comfortable with it. You have to be comfortable with it to be able to tell other people. And, and present that good story. So we talk about some things that are very simple, like if inventory reduction, that's pretty, if you're pretty certain you can reduce inventory by 20 cent, 20 percent, let's say, you know, you have a cash flow scenario, you have a uh, uh, an ROI scenario, you have, you know, carrying cost of inventory right off the bat. And if you're comfortable with 20 percent, that's highly calculable. Uh, improving your purchasing processes maybe to uh, uh, to associate with that as well, maybe that uh, you need to reduct uh, you need a reduction of your your crew and contractor costs, right? Because you don't really schedule. And if you you know you do a study, you look at it, and you go, you know what? I feel pretty good that we could probably cut 10% of my contractor costs. 
it's pretty simple to go figure out what that has been annually and, and do the math, right? Those are those are very simple and easy, easier things to do, and it's easier, I think, for people to understand and grasp and get a hold of. The harder things are the ones that are kind of lay, you know, kind of a little bit less tangible. You know, if you want to, if you want to improve your data collection in the field, so you can try to reduce unplanned work, right? That one, that one's a little harder to say. I know I can do this. It's probably very true, and and and, but but this one again is probably going to be a little more difficult to do, and maybe not for some of you, but uh, you know, again, that kind of goes hand in hand with you know. If you're pretty certain that, man, if I was catching some of this data, I wouldn't have so much unplanned outage. You know, you you can calculate it. You know, you can calculate it, but it's a little 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 bit more. It's a little fuzzier, right? And again, you know, some of these may or may not even be relevant to you, but you have something that that is. One thing that I've noticed recently is customers are requiring, you know, whatever your reliability maintenance programs are. You know, they want to make sure that you're not a part of the supply chain problem, that you do the best you can on reliability. And again, that one's very fuzzy. Uh, maybe you know customers are asking for it, and maybe you have to go to your sales guys and say, what is the cost of us not having this? You see a reduction in sales. You see clients we can miss. Um, you know, because again, this is more of an insurance scenario. If there's a one out of five chance every year that you're going to miss a customer because of it, right, then, then that's, uh, that's calculatable, right? I mean, it's calculatable. You can actually use those kind of numbers to say, hey, you know what, this is how much money we're missing if we don't improve on what we're doing to get to a better level of uh, reliability than where we are today. And some of the benefits that you have that are, that are, that are in this category may be more of a range, right? It may be this is the low side, this is the high side, right? So you can, you know, that's always a good way of saying, you know, this is probably the worst case improvement is this. This is the best case improvement. But, it, but, but as long as the worst case improvement makes sense, then it's probably something that, uh, that you want to go with. So that was a hard one, but it can be done. It just requires a little bit of thinking and, uh, and, uh, and, and a little bit of thought process. And I think you can come through with that one. Yeah, cost estimates. You know, these are these are you know are, are easily a lot more calculable. Uh, uh, the problems that sometimes you may have is uh, is resources and where the cost of the resources are. But but if they're well planned project, if somebody's you know been done done this long enough and you've done it in your organization, you kind of know what it takes. Uh, it's uh, it's it's very doable. I'm real big on not underfunding projects. It's uh, I haven't been associated with very many of them. The typically underfunded projects that I've been associated with are, are failed projects that they hired uh, some expertise to come in and reevaluate the, the whole thing, right? Uh, and I think that 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 happens in a lot. I think a lot of times, like I said earlier, if you go for cheap, then the odds are you're probably going to be cheap. And uh, so I think that make sure you get funded to do the things you need to do. Maybe you can't bite that elephant in one bite. Uh, so you may want to look at a multi-phase project to reduce risk. Like I want to get to this in phase one, but this is my phase two. But what I'm telling you is that maybe phase one was to get uh, from export to X5, but I want to do what I do today. 
but I really need to do more. Well, why not fund it all from the beginning? So when you get past that first stage, you're ready to go for the next, uh, where people are familiar with where you're headed. So sometimes you can multi-phase things to reduce the risk, to spread to spread things out over a little bit of time if you need to do that in, in order to be successful at your project. So it's always good to look at uh, exactly your scope of the project and uh, kind of uh, uh, see if you need to do things in multi-phases. Uh, I put this in here about adding the proper resources for reporting and KPIs because I say in, in a lot of instances, I've, I've seen it where this part doesn't get done as well as it needs to be. And you scramble a little bit and you kind of get stuff out, but there's probably a lot more in there you need to do. You know, some of you may be in a position where your IT department takes the data, they put it in a data warehouse of some kind, and maybe you'll uh, go up against data that way. Uh, in some instances, maybe that's not the case, that that you're dealing with what you have inside the email world. Uh, and to be honest with you, in X4, uh, Report Writer is actually pretty cool. Uh, there were a lot of cool things you can do in it that uh, uh, that were under the covers where, where you could get very sophisticated in the report writing. Uh, but it, it, was, it was good, and you could get a lot of good data out of it. And it may not be simple for the average person to jump up and do it, uh, but uh, uh, again, just uh, including that expertise into your project plan where you have people that can jump up and do it for you uh, is is very, 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 very important. And I say this too for X5. You know, X5 has something called Dashboard 2.0, and that thing's incredible. It is really, really, really cool. And I'm going to be brutally honest, as, as you guys know, I'm an independent consultant. I do not work for Emate, uh, but we are associated. Uh, but when we were doing X5, um, as we got towards the end, I thought, man, I need to start looking at this dashboard stuff. And and it was kind of hard to find. This was a long time. It was over a year ago. Right? It was hard to find uh, some of the expertise in it. But I got into it and, and uh, figured it out. And I realized, man, this is a tool. This is a tool, this is an EAM tool. It's got great dashboards and, and all kinds of capability to read data out of what you're collecting in EMA to do all kinds of stuff that gets you on the EAM level. And uh, it's, uh, it's a really, really, really great tool. And I, the regular report writer is probably in X5, the regular report writer is actually how you build a lot of data going into the, to the dashboard. Um, so, but it's not as robust as a report writer in terms of output, but all the outputs in that dashboard 2.0, great product. And it's not one you want to underfund. It's one that you want to make sure you can, you can get what you're looking at. Great KPIs, great, just great stuff that you can do in this thing. I can't, uh, I mean, hats off to email on coming up with dashboard 2.0. And your cost estimates, you always want to compare them to your actual. Because, you know, if things are going awry, you want to be able to tell everybody while it's happening and not wait to the end and go, you know, have accounting tell somebody your way over budget. You know, hit it, hit it immediately. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, I've kind of always um, guided myself in projects of, you know, bad news doesn't get better with age. And, you know, let's put things out on the table. The quicker we solve them, the better off we are. 
And uh, so I think that, that you look at your cost estimates and you look at what you're spending and make sure they stay in line. If they don't, you need to stop and reevaluate and figure out what's going on. And, and again, I keep putting the commercial out, you know, you can always get the expertise to help you do that. And you may need expertise within your own business to be able to do that as well. So those are my thoughts about, uh, about cost estimates. So, you know, the business case, uh, you know, the, you know, the bottom line is just kind of, you know, wrapping it up a little bit. It is a platform for aligning with executives. If you can actually show people, this is why we do it. This is where it makes us money, or this is where it provides us with great insurance and you have a good story to tell people will get on board, uh, and executives. And we'll talk about executives getting on board in a second, because I think that's true. And executives, in your company could be your manager, your director, uh, and it could go higher up to a VP or the, uh, uh, you know, president of operations. I'm, you know, some structures are, you know, we'd be very dependent, but, uh, you, you know, usually when your boss gets on board with something, everybody else seems to want to follow through. So, you know, this is the great platform for everybody to go, wow, this makes sense. Let's do it. Okay. And it's a great platform for aligning middle management too, because if you do number one, number two will come right along typically. You know, people have a tendency to say, man, my boss wants me to do this. I feel like I think I better jump on board and do this. So, uh, and and it is, you know, these kinds of things are how are you going to go from just, you know, getting getting regular work orders out, corrective work orders and some preventive maintenance work orders to start going down that EAM path to start doing data analytics, which in, and that's really what we're here for, you know, doing analytics to be able to be better to, and to be able to do that, we, to do analytics, we need to get to that next step. And if we start defining this and get people on board with doing that, then we, we're, we're, we're getting there. And, and again, executive uh, acceptance is uh, always important. I think you always want to meet with them and tell them why, you know, t talk to them, let them challenge your business case. Uh, you know, that's you want them to do that. You want them to look at you and go, eh, I'm not so certain I believe, <laughs> you know, you do. Because once you convince them, then you're you're good to go. And if, you know, if you can't convince them, it ain't going to happen. So, you know, no harm, no foul. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people maybe don't feel good about doing that. But I think that it's a, it's an important step. And again, this may be just your boss. I, I don't know. And I'm always straight with everybody. Uh, I think being straight is the right thing. You know, we talked about this a second ago, the business cases may be in worst, best case scenarios, but if it can, if it can win on the worst, then, then you should be starting down the road to success. Executives have a role in success, right? You know, I can tell you this, and I, I won't tell you what year it was because I'm an old man. And, but we, uh, way back yonder, this is before I was doing EAM stuff, which is 30 years ago. So this is before that I was at a company and we needed to change manufacturing systems out and go to something much better. And there was a lot of rumbling in the company and the company was about 300 people and they were a subsidiary of a fortune 500 company. And uh, we went to the president of the company and said, you know what, we need people to get on board with this because they're going to fight us all the way. And he said, all right. So he called a meeting into the cafeteria of all the middle management and every, all of his direct reports in there. And he, he was the nicest guy in the world. And he basically said, hi, everybody, hope you're doing great. Hey man, we're gonna be doing this. 
uh, implementation we're going to be changing. We need to change. We're getting bigger. Uh, our market's growing. Our, we're not set for it. And by the way, if uh, anybody here is not on board, I need to know right now. Raise your hand. Uh, and bottom line was, is we got that done in four months. I mean, <laughs> after that, everybody and their dog came. How do we help? How do we help? How do we help? So, you know, it, it doesn't always work that way. But I think, um, you know, they have to communicate. And, and, and you know, people adapt what, what their bosses want to adapt to nine times out of ten. And it's important for them to do it. The thing you don't want is in, to be in a meeting with somebody and go, yeah, 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 I'm good with that. Yeah, I know. we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to have to change, make some changes to do that. But they don't support you. All right. That's a red flag where you got to stop and go, man, you're not going to support me. Maybe we shouldn't do this. All right. But it's important to keep everybody on board. What we did at Centurion is the last one is that I created the executive steering committee where we had all the VPs uh, and even some that weren't necessarily associated with maintenance because it involves so many people uh, that we were uh, that we're going to implement this thing and users that that we had a monthly meeting with them and we told them this is you know where we started this is what we're going to do this is our game plan we didn't have a business case for Centurion the business case was to hurry up and get off because it was going to cost me more money than can imagine so that was the business case and it was not we didn't have to go through a lot of stuff at that point in time and uh, uh but we started having steering committee meetings and and it turned out that these meetings actually were great for the other executives to talk to each other i mean it turned out to be a great great meeting and uh and we were very good we had some things we wanted to do that we were shot down and saying nope you're not going to do that i'm sorry we don't want to do it i don't care if it makes us money or not uh, if they thought it was too much turmoil, they didn't want to do it, that's fine. But at least we knew from the get-go. So I'm always, 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 always big on that. Uh, challenging the culprit culture. Uh, culture. This is a this is a big deal. You know, like we talked earlier, people want to you know remain in the status quo. Um, you've got to be able to 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 deal with with corporate culture, right? It's there was a slide in here. I, I took it out, but at the bottom line, it said culture each strategy and, and that can be true in a lot of instances so you got to deal with the with the naysayers and and that kind of stuff so you know some of the ways you can mitigate that is just you know you can find people in your user community that are yeah let's change let's do it let's get better you know you always want to have those guys on board with them let them know what's going on if they're not on your team uh and preferably not in a lot of instances you want them out there so they can be cheerleading your 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 process as you go along your implementation right uh naysayers can also turn out to be your best allies you know joe over there don't want to do that you know i don't know why we're doing this it doesn't make any sense you know, i think it's working pretty good today i'm on your team um you know give them ownership uh you know and and you know if you can turn that scenario where where joe was naysayer but now he's an owner and he's a big believer in what you're doing uh some of the best allies you can have and then other people will listen well hey i didn't used to like it now he does it's always a good thing uh to, to do if you're able to do that right and then the last one is you know there's a lot of people that whose self-esteem is based on this is my data this is the way i do it you can't have it All right they a lot of people i mean to be reality in the corporate workplace it's kind of like this is mine and this is my self-worth and you know, you just you know, you got to deal with that stuff, right? Uh, 
we find I found that a lot dealing with, and this is not if there's any GIS people on here, I, I don't I'm not picking on you in particular, but I dealt with that a lot with GIS because they they came up from the ground floor doing something a little different, but in reality it was asset management data. And and so it was important for them to, you know, sometimes you gotta let go of some of that stuff, right? That you're you're holding that, but your your system's not enterprise, nobody can see it. You know, so we got to, you know, kind of work through that. And it's a lot of times it may require management uh, getting involved with it. But, you know, CMS data is enterprise data, right? It needs to be open to everybody who needs it to be able to make good decisions. That's the bottom line. A lot of people, that hasn't really happened. But in reality now, in today's world, it is something that, that needs to happen. If you're not doing that today, you may really want to consider how can we make that happen. And some other things you could do for uh, is uh, bonuses. You know, we had, uh, I was at a utility where we wanted to get done fairly quickly and, and they used uh, monetary incentives for KPI goals. Actually, Centurion did some of this as well. That uh, some of the things that came out of what we were doing and the KPIs we were trying to reach became monetary goals. And uh, that was very, very, very helpful in getting people on, on board. And again, your executives, you know, if they're on board and behind you, they can deal with problem areas, right? And and you're gonna, you know, you'll need that in some instances. Maybe some instances you won't, won't, but in some instances you may you may need that in order to be successful. So that's my 45 minutes spiel, basically. I kind of want to go over just a couple of things, uh, some key points to remember as we go forward. That, you know, you always want to build that solid, achievable business case. I know it may be a bit daunting. We're here to help. I mean, bottom line, and uh, uh, and I think it's very, very, very important. And, you know, the answer could be I'm doing nothing, or the answer could be we need to go forward and let's make this happen. Always get executives and management on board and let them know what, what you're doing is important. And like I said, if it, that takes care of a lot of cultural bar barriers, and you're going to get the help you need in order to be successful. You know, mitigate your culture, culture issues in advance, right? You, you know what they are. Right, you've been around long enough to know what they are, know what you got to do to get around them. So you start working on them early before you get started, and you know certainly be better off. And uh, always, you know, if you need some help with this, we're here to help. Uh, and, and, and these these little projects uh, are not that big. Uh, and the reality is, if you go forward, you can probably capitalize it. So there's really no hit. Uh, on on any uh, expenses or O&M expenses that you may have within the uh, uh, current year. So those are the key points to remember. A little slide here, best, a little rocket out on the end. I, I'm 11 miles from where that SpaceX rocket, giant rocket took off the other day. And uh, they're gonna do another one in August and it's very loud, it's amazing. Uh, anyway, the rocket is where you wanna be with the aim development, right? You wanna develop your business case and where you want to go to get started uh, as much as you can. Uh, that's the best way to go. Maybe that's not true for everybody, uh, but uh, that's the best case scenario that I, that I think you want to go to. So other than that, if anybody's got some questions, we're here to answer. That was great. Thank you so much for the presentation. And as a reminder to everyone, today's webinar was recorded and will be posted on the Fluke Reliability YouTube channel. We're also going to send out a link to everyone who attended. And we do have a couple of questions that have been submitted. If you have a question 
that you have not yet submitted, please enter it in that Q&A chat box and we will get through as many questions as time allows here, going up to the top of the hour. Um, and a few people have asked if the deck will be available after the presentation. Yes, we will share the deck as well as a recording of today's sessions. So feel free to shoot those check those questions there in the Q&A um, portion of the uh, thing. And then um, let's see, we can just jump into the first one. How long of an engagement to build the business case um, or how long? Uh, let's see. How long of an engagement is it to build the business case and plan the engagement? Well, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, it kind of depends on the uh, on how how big a scope you have, how big an organization that you have. Uh, uh, so it typically, you know, two weeks, you can get a lot done. Uh, six weeks if you're a little more sophisticated. So typically, uh, you know, in two to six weeks, you know, you can hammer out a real good uh, real good plan to go on forward. Like I say, if you're going to the smaller side, you know, two weeks probably is is very doable. Uh, bigger is probably six weeks. So somewhere in between a month is probably typical. If you're Walmart, it may be two years, but if you're not Walmart. You're not all Walmart. Um, and what about the typical cost of an engagement? Well, I think that it can, it can range again depending on the time it takes, right? So I would think anywhere between, you know, $10,000 on the low end to no more than probably, you know, 40 or 50 on the high end, depending on how sophisticated you're at. But the reality is it's probably for some of y'all, it's somewhere in between. And again, it's a capitalizable cost. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, in a lot of instances, it's money well spent, uh, quite frankly, but that's, you know, anywhere between 10 to 50, probably somewhere in the middle between 20 and 30. Great. We've got a question here about, um, do you consult email customers directly and help them with their, um, enterprise asset management journey? Uh, that's a good question. I, I can. Or go through email. It's kind of your call. It depends on what you feel comfortable with. But uh, I, 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 definitely, I definitely can help you. I think that uh, uh, it might be easier for all to just go through email. Uh, I'll be quite honest with you, but uh, whatever, whatever make, makes you happy. We just want to make you happy one way or another. But, uh, but definitely uh, uh, we can go through email if that works for you easier. Yeah, I just wanted to add that eMate has just this full suite of expert services from vibration and alignment all the way to um, uh, all sorts of um, uh, maintenance management, um, CMMS and EAM services, including with Kurt. So, yeah, yeah we have another no, Richard, question Richard, here. Yeah, wait, hang on, Richard. That's a good point. I'm glad you bring that up, you know, and, 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 you know like a. Going through email, maybe it's something that now you want to get more flute devices out there and you want to do more condition-based maintenance and that kind of thing, right? This is kind of what you're looking to do. So, you know, you definitely want to have them involved in all that all the way from the get-go. So, you know, can we do it without it? Yeah. Can we do it with it? Yeah, it might be just a tad bit easier. Just something to think about. Sorry, Richard. That's all right. Let me see. I'm trying to... Uh change the question size and they have oh there they are all right so we've got more questions and thank you everyone we'll try and get to as many of these as we can richard the next one 
Yeah. I, heard, uh, I lost you there for a second. Okay. Can you see me now? Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I have one question that is that um, does eMate require higher hours of training for people that have used um, other CMMS software? And they're asking bottom line, is it always garbage in, garbage out? Um, I'm not quite sure about the end of that question. Um, but can I, you speak I, to that, Kurt? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not sure what you've used in the past, but, uh, you know, I found eMate to be the easiest piece of software I've ever dealt with. I'd be honest with you, right? And I've done the rigid SAP stuff. Uh, Maximo was fairly unrigid, but it required a lot more technical expertise. But, you know, in terms of actually just using the product, I mean, it's uh, I find it to be pretty simple. Uh, you know, it's as long as you're hip with the process that, you know, you know what preventive maintenance orders are, you know what, uh, you know, corrective work orders are and all these kind of things. I mean, you'll find going from any third party to uh, to e-mate easy. Uh, Centurion was a great example. They'd been on Maximo for 10 years, and it was actually a lot easier for them to go to eMate. And you know what we found with eMate too? It's it's easy to customize screens and stuff. I mean, you don't have to have a lot of technical expertise to do it. Trust me. Uh, even this old man got it figured out. And uh, uh, so it's easy to make changes to stuff. And uh, yeah, I just found it to be really after, especially after doing giant SAP projects, I found it to be so simple to deal with. It was, uh, it was a uh, very interesting. Uh, garbage in, garbage out is always going to be it. I mean, that's the ultimate question. You want to, you want to fix your data in your old system before you move it. And I assume this is why you're asking the question, or do you want to move it and then fix it? And that's a, that's a good question. My thought process is you fix it before you move it because it's just better to convert the data the way you want to see it. And uh, you're not maybe creating a bunch of fields and uh, I, you'll find, especially X5, you know, it's very integrated. The database is very integrated. So, uh, I mean, X4 was pretty integrated. X5 is even more so. Uh, so I, my suggestion is to get that project going Get, uh, get your data, and if you're in X4 or you're in Maximo or anybody else, get it fixed up and, uh, as best as you can do before you convert. If I answered your question, hopefully I did. And we had a question here about the getting the video recording or presentation material. Again, those will both be sent to you, um, the deck and the recording. Um, we also had a question about the um, process of transferring from X4 to X5. Um, Kurt, is that something that you can speak to, or is that something that we can get in, in touch with people um, after the webinar to give them more of an in-depth uh, walkthrough of that? Well, I mean, I can talk about it. I did it. So, uh, uh, quite frankly, uh, it's just transferring to X4 to X5 is, uh, you know, I mean, they're really completely different products, to be honest with you. And uh, how easy that goes uh, depends on your level of complexity that you are in X4. I will tell you this, you know, to be honest, to be brutally honest, when we did it, there, a lot of their tools for getting the data in uh, uh, weren't as developed as they are today. Uh, so I think it's a lot easier process uh, today than it was. I believe you treat it as a new implementation. 
That's what I'm. T- I, I just think you need to look at it as it's not like getting a new app on your phone and said oh, I was upgraded during the night. Uh, it, it's it's harder than that, and I think it's different than that, and I think you want to look at it different than that. So I would I would treat it as if I was going from uh, going to a different piece of software, although it's the same software. It's I mean it, the look and feel is completely different, better, right? It's better, but it's it's a, it's it's a it's a pretty good jump. I mean you're talking a technology jump of 15 years basically. So. But it's it's very do, doable, no doubt about it. We had a little uh, part, end part of that question that I think I could just answer, which is, um, will will your data transfer? And you know, there's a whole team that is set up to make that transition um, seamless. And so um, there's going to be a lot of help as far as that goes. Um, we got another question here, a great question that I think we talk about a lot in the maintenance and reliability industry, although. I'm I'm pretty much a newcomer compared to all of you guys, which is um, the main difference between um, a CMMS and an EAM um, that improves your plant maintenance. So I think they're asking, what are the advantages of a system that can achieve EAM capabilities for um, improving plant maintenance? Well, I think, I mean, it's all about, you know, EAM just stands for enterprise asset management. And, and you know, it, it, it you know, the bottom line is, is that it's all about saving money. I mean, it's all about being proactive and saving money. And that doesn't mean just the cost of buying an asset or whatever, although that's a part of it, but uh, it's the cost of reducing downtime. It's uh, being optimal in what you do. And that's, uh, I think that, that in a lot of instances, we, we don't actually get all the way there and we probably need to, or maybe pieces of that are be very important for me to do, but we can't, can't necessarily get there. But, but when I just think of CMMS, when that word, when it first came out, CMMS, computerized maintenance management system, you know, the majority of it was about just work order, right? But when you talk about asset management and enterprise asset management, now you're talking about, well, it's more than just doing work orders. Understand what Joe did and, and looking at the history. What do you do with the history of the work orders, right? How do you make that uh, uh, fix or buy decision? That is managing the asset. That is that is really looking at it and saying, you know what, I spent a hundred thousand on a three hundred thousand dollar asset, and I spent another hundred thousand, and I need to just buy a new one uh, or whatever, right? Or, or enterprise asset, your crew, crew scheduling, people scheduling. Maybe you don't do any kind of uh, uh, scheduling or any long-term planning and, and that kind of thing. And uh, and it's uh, it's important that you that you do that. Uh, that it, maybe it is and maybe it isn't, but that's that's enterprise asset management. It's going beyond just creating work orders and and looking at the history of stuff. It's actually being proactive to manage your crews to get the optimum money out of out of what you do and you know the, make cost as low as possible then purchasing can be thrown in there too how do we make sure we do purchasing as efficient as possible and and that uh, and that we you know we just do the best that we can that saves the most money for our company well kurt thank you so much for sharing your insight and expertise do you have any comments you'd like to make in closing I, I do not. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, reach out to these guys. If you, if you want to talk some more, I love to talk, as you can probably tell. Uh, we'd love to help you if you need some help. Uh, thanks. Thanks for attending. I appreciate it.
Yeah, thank you to everyone who joined us today. There's going to be a brief survey that's going to pop up. Six quick questions. If you'd be just so kind as to take the time to respond, it does help us to improve these webinars. And if you have any additional questions, I think we, you guys had some great questions. We didn't get a chance to answer every last one. Um, so if you have any questions or you'd like to connect directly with our team, you can either reach out to us directly um, um, or via the website or LinkedIn. And so thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful rest of your day.